Welcome to the 166th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with author Nate Kenyon, author of the science fiction thriller novel Day One. I also interviewed Nate earlier on the podcast in episode 96. There will be a link to that earlier interview in the show notes. Stay tuned for my interview with Nate Kenyon. The Reading and Writing Podcast is sponsored by the book-loving nerds at Riffle. Riffle is an online book community that connects readers with authors and books that they'll love. Readers use Riffle to find the next book that they want to read. And authors use Riffle to make their books stand out and drive sales. Join the Riffle community today at rifflebooks.com. That's R-I-F-F-L-E. B-O-O-K-S dot com and look for the link in the show notes as well. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Nate Kenyon. This is the second time I've interviewed Nate for the podcast. Nate's new book, Day One, is a thriller novel that was just published. In addition to his own novels, Nate has written many best-selling media tie-in novels, including Diablo III, The Order, and StarCraft Ghost Specters. Nate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here. Sure. Nate, can I have you read the first couple of pages of your new novel, Day One? Later that day, it was the dream he would remember. In the dead hours between midnight and dawn, it crept up on him like a child playing hide-and-seek. Thomas was running toward him from the park. His cherubic face lit up with a thousand-watt smile. That's my son, Hawk thought, as he watched the boy race through the scattering of leaves. It filled him with a sense of wonder and bewilderment. That this child would depend upon him for everything, look up to him the way men look to God. It kept him from being anything less than honest. During the worst of what was to come, it kept him sane. The dream changed without warning. The expression on the boy's face was not one of happiness at all, but a grimace of fear. Tears streaked his cheeks. Thomas reached up as he ran on chubby little legs, and Hawk crouched to gather him into his arms. The boy grabbed him by the neck in a drowning grip and buried his face in the hollow between collarbone and chest. The impact carried Hawk over, and he sat down hard, crunching into a pile of fall leaves that had drifted against the foot of an ancient oak. Rough bark bit into his back. Please, Daddy, don't leave me. This kind of emotion for Thomas wasn't normal. He hardly ever cried. The boy squeezed tighter and wrapped his legs around Hawk's waist. Beyond them, the park was deserted, the swings ticking softly on their metal chains as a breeze nudged and twisted them. The whole world had disappeared. There was nobody left except the boy and his father sitting in the leaves. Thomas's tears bled through Hawk's shirt. He rubbed his son's back, but the boy wouldn't stop. He kept squeezing, trying to mold himself into his father's body, and Hawk held on tight and swallowed hard against a lump in his throat. I won't let anything happen to you, I promise. I'll do anything to keep you safe. (laughs) Cool air swept across the park. The wind grew teeth as bits of dust and leaves swirled and flung themselves against Hawk's face. He squinted against the sudden attack as the sky lowered itself like a metal plate pushing against their heads, and thunderclouds boiled up and spilled over the dusty ground. In moments, they were soaked through. Hawk struggled to his feet, still gripping his son to his chest. The boy's cries became more frantic, his fingers digging into the flesh of his father's back. Hawk stumbled forward and blinked against the river of water pouring down his face and the stinging needles of rain that lashed his skin. Something was pulling Thomas away from him. He held tight, but the pull was strong. He glanced over Thomas's shoulder and saw nothing at first. The park was empty, the basketball court deserted, black and slick with rain. The boy cried out as a cold, slippery thing wormed its way between them, wrapped around his waist and yanked. 
The muscles in Hawk's arms grew taut and quivered. Panic lit him up inside like an electric shock, thickened his tongue. He looked up again and saw tentacles uncoiling like silver rope, steel ropes from the metallic sky above, a monstrous multi-limbed creature snaking down to snatch his son. Don't let them take me, Daddy. Another one wrapped itself around Thomas's neck. The pull grew stronger. Hawk fell to his knees, sobbing. He had a feeling that it was his fault, something he'd done that was causing this. His arms were on fire. He fought against the thing trying to take his boy as the wind whipped across the empty park. I won't let you go, he shouted into the rain. But as the words were torn from his throat, his grip gave way. He watched as his child tumbled backward across the asphalt and was swept up into the vacuum of the night as the clouds wept and the earth moaned with him. The dream left Hawk gasping into his pillow. His son's pleading face remained vividly etched into his memory, the helplessness he felt as sharp and clear as a physical ache. He got up from bed and padded through the familiar darkness of the hall, wiping his eyes and nose with his undershirt, the shirt his wife used to tease him about wearing. You look like a little old man, she would say, smiling. Take it off and come to bed. But he could never fall asleep like that, thinking that somehow he'd be more prepared for an emergency if he had something on. If there were a fire, if someone got into the apartment, someone like Lowry. He was always thinking that way. He couldn't calm his trembling limbs or banish the feeling that had welled up in him. He'd been feeling this way all the time lately, like he was standing on humming tracks with a train bearing down and no way to step aside. He wondered if it would be like this forever. Thomas's room was stiflingly hot. The night light lit up enough of the floor for him to see. The colors changed from blue to red, making the carpet look like a slowly beating heart. He walked to the bed and looked down at his sleeping child. Thomas's brow wrinkled and he sighed, turning over and stuck his little thumb into his mouth. Only a dream, Hawk thought. My boy's safe. It's over now. Later, he would realize how incredibly wrong he'd been. Well, how would you describe your new novel, Day One? Uh, day One is it takes place in New York City, and it's uh, built around the day that machines become sentient and decide to uh, take over the world, essentially. So there's a young journalist named um, <clears throat> John Hawk who has to escape the city to save his wife and his young son. Great. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus for day one? Was there kind of a light bulb moment um, in terms of the idea that, that you remember? This one uh, was a little different than most of my other original novels in that it was much more of a collaborative effort, I think, with my editor, uh, Brendan Brendan Deneen um, and Peter Joseph. Um, I actually have two editors at St. Martin's, uh, Tom's done. Um, and... Uh, Brendan and I have been wanting to work together for a while, and um, we've sort of talked about different ideas. And uh, he actually had this he, – he commutes into the city every day, and he had this um, – he says he always goes through the tunnel and thinks what would happen if the power went out and he was trapped there and had to try to get back out. And we started kicking around that idea, and uh, one thing led to another. And we had a great conference call with uh, Peter and um, kicked around more more concepts. And then I sat down and fleshed everything out and you know came up with a character and – um, you know, all the details around uh, what was happening and why and um, fleshed out a long outline and, and we went from there. So it was a little bit different than my original stuff um, where I sort of sit in the, you know, sit by myself and come up with whatever I'm going to come up with. It was, uh, it was kind of exciting. That's great. And what has the response been? I, I see the, the great uh, blurbs and, and, and quotes from uh, a lot of best-selling authors, including Jonathan Mayberry and Steve Berry. What what's the been the reaction to day one so far? I think it's been fantastic. I mean, it's it's early still. It's only been out a couple of weeks, but um, early reviews are great. Booklist uh, gave it a starred review. 
um, called it exciting and inventive, I think. Um, Library Journal gave it a great review, said it was my scariest one to date and uh, a must um, for thriller fans. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think the reader response so far has been excellent. I'm getting a lot of feedback um, both online and through email and elsewhere um, that people really seem to connect with a number of things in the book. One, it's it's um, very fast paced. It's full of action. Um, it reads very quickly. A lot of people say I just ended up reading it in one sitting and couldn't put it down, which is what I want to hear. Um, so I'm excited. Um, there's film, there's some film interest. Um, it's very early in that, but, uh, but we're, we're hopeful with that too. So, um, so all in all, I think the reaction has been fantastic and, uh, you know, I can't wait to see, uh, where we go from here. Great. So, so what are you working on now? Have you started another novel at this point? Um, I haven't quite started anything yet. I have two things that I'm interested in writing, and I'm trying to figure out which one I want to do. Um, and uh, you know, it's, I've been obviously very busy with the publicity around around day one um, and getting the word out. Uh, and I've also just finished up edits to the next Diablo novel called Storm of Light, um, which will be out in February next year. So that was a, a long process of uh, writing and revisions that just just kind of ended up a few two or three weeks ago. Gotcha. And so with, with that, with that next Diablo novel, is that tied into uh, an update to the game that will be coming out or is that just continuing kind of the lore behind Diablo? Um, it is tied. There is an expansion pack coming out. I don't it. think it's, I don't know the date yet. I don't think the date's been announced for when that game's going to come out. Um, sure. But, uh, you know, the details are slowly becoming known. And this book, uh, Storm of Light, has to do with, uh, you know, one of the main, many of the main characters of, of the game and uh, takes place um, right before the, the, um, the you know, incidents that, uh, that are in the game. So it's, sure. it's sort of a, a write up, a lead up into it. And, and so I know that you've written, I mean, I mentioned earlier, I know you've written um, a couple of other novels based on Blizzard games, uh, Diablo and Starcraft. What, what is, uh, and obviously you're, you're, you're writing, as you just mentioned, this new Diablo novel. Uh, what has that process been like for you? I mean, obviously you're, you're enjoying it. Yeah, the process for writing tie-in stuff is, is, I mean, ultimately the writing process is similar when you actually get, put your butt in the seat and write, but um but the the development process is quite different. Um, it, it's actually it's it's it was interesting to me. I never really thought of myself as doing this sort of thing, and I was contacted um, through my agent uh, by them and and asked to do the Starcraft novel. and um, And what I found was that um, it's a it's a very collaborative, very exciting, and creative process because you have a whole team of people that have a, a, obviously a great invested interest in this, in this, uh, this universe that they've, that they, they work in. Um, and you know, they are, have incredible amounts of knowledge about the backstory and it's really, really well developed, really deep, um, you know, from Diablo, for example, you know, when I went out there to talk about it, um, they sat me down with one of their lore, uh, gurus and, uh, she basically took me through day one of creation in this entire alternate universe. I mean, they have the entire history of the, of the world mapped out and it, it does two things. It, it, it's a bit daunting to work in that kind of, uh, environment, but it's also really, it, it provides, a a lot of interesting things to play with, you know, so you, you're not depend depending upon yourself entirely to create this this new universe i mean you've got all these things that are already built and people love and fans love so 
you know, there's there's established characters to play with. So we've really had fun um, working together on this and brainstorming and coming up with concepts and kicking ideas back and forth, which is quite different from, you know, again, my original work where um, I often am, you know, doing it on my own. Um, so, so yeah, it's a different process, an exciting process, a creative process. Um, and uh, we, especially with Storm of Light, the one that's coming out um, in February, we, we really had a lot of fun bringing back some of the old characters that fans love from prior novels and prior games and bringing them all into one book and uh, putting them together. And I think fans are going to really get a kick out of that. That's great. Well, well, given your success with both your original novels and, and the P- media tie-in novels that we just mentioned, what advice at this point uh, would you offer for aspiring writers, people who kind of want to be kind of in your seat at some point writing original novels or writing media tie-in novels? I think my advice is the same as I, I would, you know, give from the beginning of my career, um, from what I've, what I've learned, which I think is, you know, it, it's pretty simple. Um, sort of three or four things just to, to keep in mind, you know, you, you, you need to write. I mean, it seems silly and, and, and simple, but it, it's, it's, um, it's more than anything else. Um, the, the, the best way to succeed, you write, you write every day, have a schedule, um, you know, try to hit it, hit some kind of goal. It could be, it could be a page, it could be five pages, whatever, whatever your goal, whatever reasonable goal is. But as long as you do that every single day, as much as possible, and you have writing times that you have set aside, you will end up with a a book length work at some point. And, you know, regardless of whether you like it or don't like it or it's saleable or whatever, um, you will have finished something. And that is um, tremendously helpful for your learning process. And the second thing is that you need to read. I mean, you, you need to read widely um in genre out of genre you need to um sort of devour it because it's kind of like an apprenticeship in a way um i've said before in interviews you know writing it's sort of like you know it's like learning plumbing you wouldn't ask you wouldn't just kind of go underneath your sink and and suddenly decide to fix your 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 trap and a leaky pipe i mean you, you need to learn how to do it and and that's kind of like what reading does you're in there and you're seeing how writers do things what works what doesn't you take things apart you figure out you know why their why their characters work or don't work and um and that's just a really valuable process to learn how to do it yourself um so those are two things and then a third thing i would say is um, it's really important to just remain professional. Um, you know, you, you look at this as a career and um, be respectful, make contacts, uh, go out there, go to conventions, meet people, uh, meet your meet mentors, um, you know, meet your heroes. Um, you know, don't you know, you don't want to um, push them to the point of being obnoxious. But you certainly I think most people in the writing business are very friendly and open to new writers that are um they're courteous and really want to learn. So you go out there and you, um, you make those contacts. And I think one of the last things to remember is to be incredibly doggedly, um, you know, in, in your pursuit of your career, you need to just sort of have this insanity. It's, it's kind of like bashing your head against the wall. You need to just keep going, put your head down. It's going to be a lot of, um, a lot of disappointments and a lot of rejections. That's just the nature of the business. And you have to be able to look through those and, uh, and just keep going because those are the people that succeed. They just fight through and they keep going and they don't want to let go of their dream. Sure. 
Well, obviously, as you know, with with ebooks and the impact on on um, publishing and book selling, that that it's very easy at this point if someone is uh, an aspiring writer to basically hit a button and and publish their their work or self publish their work electronically. Um, do you think if if you were breaking in now that you would be tempted to do that, or do you think that you would stay on the path of of, of pursuing uh, publication with with a quote unquote traditional publisher? I think I probably knowing myself at the time, I probably would have been very tempted to do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that's not to say it would have been the right decision, but I think I would have, I probably would have done it, you know, because, um, that was the kind of person I was. I mean, I wanted to get out there. I wanted to get my work read. I, I, I like technology anyway, and that would have been a path I probably looked at. <laughs> um, you know, so, so is that the right thing to do? I mean, you know, I think that it varies person to person. I think it's it's certainly a much more legitimate path than it used to be even five or ten years ago. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of people are having success. At the same time, there's a lot more noise and a lot more people doing it. So it's harder and harder to get noticed. And I think if you're going to do it, I mean, first and foremost, you have to have a good, you know, a good product. I mean, I think you have to have a professional manuscript and, you know, it can't be full of errors. It's got to be readable. It's got to be a good book. Um, that, that, you know, that's the same no matter what path you're pursuing. But, uh, but in terms of, of if you decide to go the self-published route, I think you, you have to be prepared that it's going to, you need to be a marketer. You need to be a networker. You need to be a person that is able to go out there and sell your work because, that's what you're doing, right? You're basically cutting out the, the middleman. You're, you're cutting out the, the business out of the whole process, and you're becoming the writer, the marketer, the promoter, the publicist, um, you know, the tech person, uh, all that stuff. And if if you feel like you're able to do that, um, you know, and you have those skills, then, uh, you know, why not? I mean, I still think um, the traditional path is, is valid, um, you know, but but there are multiple paths now. There used to be sure. sort of one way to go, and I don't think that's the case anymore. Sure. Have you ever been tempted, even at this point, to maybe experiment with pulling out like you know a quote unquote trunk novel or or short stories and and just see what might happen electronically if you publish those yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I actually have a <laughs> I have a couple things now um, up on Amazon that have been up for a while. My novel, my novella Prime, um, which came out a few years ago from Apex, I got the rights back to that a few years after it came out, and I put that up myself. And that's you know that does fine. It's I don't really promote it or do anything with it, and it sells a few copies uh, every month or so. And for a while, it was selling pretty well. Um, so. You know that's fine. Um, I have a anthology that sells consistently um, out there that I put together with uh, other writers, and um, I have a I do have a, a novel that I I you know I keep thinking maybe I'll put up, um, and of course Sparrow Rock, which was my fourth um, novel, uh, I actually got the rights back to that, and I've I've held it, and um, I've been just currently trying to decide what to do with it, whether I do it myself or whether I look for another. A smaller house or an ebook publisher to put out a new edition. I'm not sure yet, but I'd like sure. to do something with it. Sure. Well, what um, books or writers have you read lately that that made an impact on you and that you would recommend? Ah, uh, boy, that's tough. Um, Bill Andy. <laughs> um, Bill Andy's great. Uh, um, Defending Jacob. I love that book. Um, fantastic book. Um, Gone Girl was a great book. Uh, Jillian Flynn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are writers that I, that I, I read, I've read, or, you know, it's not, they're not new to me, but, uh, sure, both sure. of those, 
books I think were both those books I think were their best books um, and very successful for reason. Um, you know, I read Joyland. I mean, again, it's King, and uh, certainly read all his stuff. And I think that's one. It's it's a different book for him, and it's it's actually one of his best, I think, in a long time. Um, Interesting. Have you read Doctor Sleep yet? You know, it's funny. I, I I've got it. I couldn't help myself. Um, I read the first couple chapters, and uh, I've gotten sidetracked by a number of things. But and I'm part of it is I'm just kind of nervous to read it. Um, I loved The Shining so much. It's one of my favorite books of all time, and it's influenced me so much. And uh, I just don't want to. I I just want to like Doctor Sleep so badly <laughs> that I'm worried that I'm not going to. Um, you know, and uh, so it's been tough. But I, the reviews have been have been so good and people seem to really connect with it. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to dive into that when I can finally breathe a little bit, um, you know, and get some space to, to do it. Sure. Well, again, we've been speaking with Nate Kenyon, author of the new thriller novel day one, the book is in bookstores now. So go grab a copy. Nate, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's great. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.